everyone, and welcome to the RAP Employee Podcast. I'm Dan Elman with the Department of Communication. Today, we're going to recognize Cybersecurity Awareness Month with an important conversation with Jack Kufal, Michigan Medicine's Chief Information Security Officer. And before we get into that discussion, be sure you go back and get caught up on any episode of The Wrap you may have missed. You can find shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast hosting platform. New episodes can also be found on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel, and as part of the headlines, we can review. All right, now recently I had the chance to sit down with Jack Kufal to discuss cybersecurity at Michigan Medicine and the role you can play in keeping your information and the information of our patients as safe as possible. Here's a look back at that conversation. First of all, thank you so much, Jack, for joining us today in recognition of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Can you first tell people a little bit about yourself and what the role is that you play at U of M? Uh, sure. Uh, so I've been uh, at Michigan Medicine one way or another for about 20 years or so. Um, and I'm currently the Chief Information Security Officer for Michigan Medicine. So when it comes to information security, whether it's in the medical school or the hospital or ambulatory or the Michigan Health Corporation, uh, that's an area where me and my team work to help uh, protect the systems, identity, and data of our organization. Awesome. Now, obviously, Michigan Medicine is one of the largest hospitals in Michigan and a premier academic medical center. What makes an academic medical center a particularly attractive target for cyber criminals, as opposed to, say, you know, a local hospital or private institution? Sure. Um, it's interesting uh, because as an academic medical center, um, we're always struggling to compare ourselves, uh, our program, our institution to either uh, another higher ed institution or another hospital. And the truth is we're both. Um, and there's few that are as integrated as we are. Uh, so usually the way that I, I try to describe the difference between say Michigan Medicine as an AMC and a large hospital in, in, a, in our uh, sector is when it comes to the data. Um, hospitals, uh, plain Jane hospitals, just focus on how do you protect that data that is theirs? Um, how do they encrypt it? How do they lock it down? How do they limit access? And basically, for lack of better terms, how do they generally hide it from other people? Uh, academic medicine's different in that we generate massive amounts of data really for the purpose of sharing and collaborating and working with other research institutions or other hospitals or other government entities. Because the idea is not just to provide patient care at the bedside, but to discover new science, new discovery, new uh, therapies, new, uh, new points. Uh, for what healthcare will be 5, 10, 50 years from now. In order to do that, we have to share data. Um, and so the expectation of an academic medical center, within reason, is that we're much more collaborative and we're much more permissible of an environment. So for us, it's not about how fast do we lock everything down. It's really much more about how do we protect this data, but also keep it moving so that it can get to where it can do the most good. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense, right? We're trying to create as much data as possible because the more data we have, the better answers we can find, right? And that's really one of the big reasons why we are such an attractive target is not only do we have a lot of data um, comparatively to say another thousand bed hospital somewhere, right. 
Um, but we curate this data, you know, uh, in a very uh, logistic, professional, um, archival way uh, because we need to use it. So it's not just a big wibbly wobbly mess of data everywhere. Uh -huh. uh, it's organized and it's packaged and it's curated uh, so that it does have that value and that makes it all the more attractive. Yeah. All right. So we know that that data exists. So of course the organization uses a number of technologies, processes, systems to ensure overall cybersecurity. Um, and I know that that's what your office typically handles. But isn't it true that you know a lot of times cybersecurity is most at risk through employee exploitation, whether it's through phishing and other tactics? It is. Um, and it's not more likely or a primary vector by a little bit. It's the primary vector by a lot. Um, I've seen data out there, some of our own data uh, of our own threats and threat vector at Michigan Medicine uh, have it upwards of around 90% of the things that impact us from a cybersecurity point of view come at us through phishing. And it's because phishing is cheap and it works um, from, from, a, from a malicious point of view. So if you can put, if you're a malicious actor and you can put a very little bit of money into something and almost always get some kind of results that benefits those malicious actors, you're going to keep doing it and you're going right. to change the tactics. And it's also important to think about, well, email is basically, I understand the technologies have changed, but email is basically the same technology it was in, you know, 1982. So we have all these different technologies and tactics and training to help protect us. But underneath our largest threat vector, which is phishing via email, uh, is that it's it's an old technology and it's become like the wallpaper. It just becomes part of the background. Yep. So behaviorally, we treat it very, um, very much as part of our everyday. So we don't necessarily realize the types of threats that could be coming our way. And they're they're uh, attacks that are emotionally driven, that try to drive you anything to get you to click that link or download something from uh, pressuring you emotionally uh, into your boss asking you to buy a Amazon gift card at 3 a.m. Hey, they're in an emergency situation. Can you please buy an Amazon gift card? Just give me this information. Or somebody, um, you know, desperate for a password because in our environment, there's there are literally life and death situations or million dollar situations. So anything that goes on uh, is always looking for that um, emotional hook because it just yeah. takes a split second, which is one of the most important reasons um, when you are at all, even the slightest bit suspicion, suspicious about some sort of email, just to pause, just give your brain a couple seconds to catch up to see if you should or should not click that link, respond with that password. And if you're at all wondering just give it a second and ask the question or report it and ask for clarity. And we have resources to help do that. Yeah, I think that that's great advice because, you know, when you sit down and actually think about the amount of time we spend on email, right? It's, it almost feels like 50% of my day, I know a lot of people are like that. I'm staring at my outlook, right? And responding to emails and getting new ones. And some people here get hundreds upon hundreds of emails per day. And that can be overwhelming. And so you're going very quickly through it, right? So it's just, taking those extra few seconds to really think about what you're reading. Correct. That sense of uh, default urgency is really what these threat actors are uh, hoping for. 
mm-hmm. that um, either they can get something in that's um, very quick, you know, just get it across the transom, send it to a hundred thousand people. And if 10 opt into it um, or uh, doing what's called spear phishing, which is where they're specifically not going for the hundreds of thousands people and sort of just getting anybody to respond, but finding out some hook, some particular piece of information about you uh, so that they can target the email to make it seem a little bit more legitimate. And because we're an academic medical center or a public institution, compared to another company, say another hospital or another manufacturing company or an energy company, lots of our information about who we are, who the who the leadership is, what our strategies are. Um, and because we're such a public institution, you know, information that's in the everyday news or information that's in our own um, uh, our own publicly consumable information is all fodder for a threat actor to make something just slightly more believable to get you to click that link. Yeah, um, uh, we've talked a lot about phishing so far. I just want to real quick, you know, and I know that we've talked a lot about it in headlines and other forms of communication that come out from the Department of Communication and from Information Assurance and HITS and all that. Can you give just a 10 second description of what phishing is in case somebody is sort of, wait a minute, well, what are they actually talking about right now and what they're trying to get somebody to do? Sure. You know, phishing at its core is illegitimate email. Um, it's email that is trying to get you to do something like click a link that will take you to a malicious site that may download um, bad programs, malware uh, within our environment. Or uh, they're doing what's called credential harvesting, where they're getting you to give your level one or level two password in response. Uh, say, you know, uh, so the link might take you to a near replica of what it looks like to sign into your email. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not perfect, right? Something looks a little off and your brain registers it. Uh, but the message came from uh, the IT department, right? Something believable saying, hey, please sign into your email to fix configuration A, B, or C. Um, and almost all the workforce would look at that and say, well, I, you know, if it's from IT and they say it's important, I'm going to go ahead and take care of it. But if you were to look at that, email address, perhaps it doesn't look like it's coming from an at med.umich.edu sender, uh-huh. or maybe the link is a little off, right? It's not a umich.edu address. Maybe it's a u.mich.edu yeah. address or something clever like that, where on, when in a quick glance, uh, it looks legitimate enough, but maybe you don't quite recognize it. And that's really where that pausing, asking, uh, or reporting it uh, really comes into play. There's really few downsides. Um, we do th- Email is important. It's built into a lot of our communication. We convey a ton of information about it, a lot of coordination about it, but very little of it needs to be acted on immediately. Yeah. Uh, but we, we sort of convince ourselves that we're, we're, we're good workforce members and we want to provide information back to our coworkers as soon as possible so they can do their job. And you know, in that fraction of a second, um, really bad things can happen, like giving away your credentials, which allows malicious actors access to our network or our systems or our patient information, or uh, loading um, malicious software into our environment like ransomware uh, that may impact and have really uh, large ramifications for the institution. Yeah, so I, that's what I wanted to touch on next. I didn't want to, I don't want to necessarily scare our listeners or, or viewers, but 
what are some of the ramifications on both the personal and organizational level that, that has taken place due to cyber attacks, not necessarily at Michigan Medicine, but in general? Sure. Uh, the big two that I think about, um, and there are um, real life use cases for this at other academic medical centers we, and other companies for sure. They've been, they've been in the headlines themselves. Uh, but the first one is ransomware. It certainly isn't the only threat that's out there, uh, but ransomware is very prevalent right now inside healthcare, for example, or other critical infrastructure. And that's where our digital systems, the systems we use to interact with MyChart or the systems that we use to teach our students or the systems that we use to run scientific instruments um, would become unavailable. They would become uh, locked down and with the prospect that if we were to pay a criminal, uh, that they would help us unlock them. Now there's problems with that logic, um, but, but generally speaking, uh, ransomware, uh, even if you were to um, be able to unlock a computer, either through help from a law enforcement agency or paying the ransom and negotiating and figuring out how to do that, um, it's not very likely that you would be able to recover same day. In fact, evidence really shows that it would take three, four, five weeks to recover. Um, and that type of digital disruption is something that few institutions are well prepared for. We're pretty well prepared for multiple hours to multiple days of certain systems or key systems being offline um, and then working through our emergency management office to recover um, and get back to normal operations. In fact, I would say that our, our environment, both on the medical school side and on the hospital side, hospital and healthcare center side, are very and prepared and trained and practiced for those types of multi-hour to multi-day disruptions. A large-scale ransomware attack is measured in weeks, sometimes months. Um, and that's something that is a, a different type of ramification that we are working with medical school, hospital leadership, emergency management, um, and our peers, frankly, about how can we reduce those risks, but also how can we plan for those risks? So you'll see little uh, updates here or there as we make uh, ready um, for um, the potential of ransomware impacting our institution. Uh -huh. The other big ramification is, I would say more on the academic side and on the research side, is there's a lot of data that we house that isn't necessarily backed up in four different places because it's it's massive amounts of data, terabytes and terabytes and sometimes petabytes of data. So you can't exactly stick in a thumb drive and make three copies of all our research data. Um, and some of that is absolutely irreplaceable. Uh, so losing access or integrity to that data is something that I'm concerned about as well. Keeping a hospital up and running or keeping a clinic up and running is one type of risk. But generally speaking, uh, there's a pathway to recovery. Losing 30 years of uh, dermatology research data is a whole different type of problem. Yeah, yeah, that, that can be pretty serious. So we've talked about, obviously, just taking a moment, taking a breath, thinking about what you're looking at. What are some other ways, you know, that our faculty, staff, and learners can, can keep safe while online? And what happens if sort of after the fact, you realize you might have fallen victim to a cyber scam? You know, what's most important is that this is an ongoing conversation. You know, 
uh, information assurance and my role as chief information security officer, you know, we focus on this all day, every day. Um, but it's not to say that cybersecurity isn't everybody's concern. Um, because it's uh, more permissible, uh, more flexible uh, academic medical center, everybody that works here has a role, uh, whether you're an IT professional or not. Um, and what we do is we try to create the communication and the training, uh, both through um, the learning management system, sometimes in the form of mandatory, sometimes in the form of optionals, but we also do things like simulated phishing campaigns where we test our, our employees and we give them feedback and we give them micro training right away. We're engaging further through uh, working with HR and management or highly susceptible areas, you know, areas that tend to be targeted most. We can tell uh, through some of our systems who some of the most targeted people are. You know, uh, if there's 25, 26,000 people that work for Michigan Medicine, there is a small portion of those, usually by the nature of their job, uh, where they're highly targeted, either for phishing or for credential um, theft or any number of attacks. So usually when uh, information assurance is reaching out or focusing on a particular piece of training or a particular communication thread, it's because we are seeing active threats and vulnerabilities in our environment today that we need to improve our savviness. So I know a lot of training, a lot of emails, a lot of communication, or a lot of, uh, a lot of um, engagements, it blends into the background. And I, I understand that. Um, we're, um, we're tired of the cybersecurity threat. Um, that's all the more reason to remain vigilant and understand behind the scenes, we're trying to target and tune that message to provide the most bang for our buck. Um, and often we try to do it through multiple channels. So if you see something through, you know, three or four different communication channels, you know, for us, that's not a signal for you to, uh, tune out. That's a signal for you to say, there might be something going on in the environment where I need to tune in. Yep. Beyond that, you know, giving us information, either through the report fish button in your Outlook, uh, or if you don't use Outlook where you don't have that button, you can also forward a message to report fish at umich.edu manually, and that will get to us. Um, that helps us understand what's going on in our environment. Because while we have improved a lot of our technologies and a lot of our intelligence, one of the most valuable things is to get direct information from the people seeing the attacks. So it should never be assumed that just because you see something means that I can see something or my team can see something. And I would rather have something reported uh, copiously uh, that we already know about than not have the visibility at all. Yeah. If you find yourself or even suspect that you've fallen victim, whether it's to a phishing problem or um you know, uh, you plugged in a thumb drive that maybe you shouldn't have and something happened, or um, uh, uh, you received an SMS text, right? That's getting popular now, where you receive a text on your phone that is uh, a little peculiar or any of the above or anything that we haven't even discussed. It's always prudent to report it. Um, and the faster you do that, uh, the better we can react. Uh, and similar to the report fish, the faster you can report something and we can um, get some assurance that either we're aware of it and we're dealing with it, or thanks for reaching out, but this, is, uh, this isn't suspicious, this is actually legitimate, uh, that never upsets us, right? Um, you know, and a lot of times, um, 
even from some U of M sources, so very credible sources, or for some of our key partners, an email may come across that looks kind of fishy. Um, and on one hand, that's good. I like getting those reports because it tells me the users are being conscientious. They're being a little, they're, they're, they've got a little bit of um, caution, right? And even if it isn't fish, um, something can look very fishy without it being fish and we can help uh, check something out, right? So if there's a link from a conference that you went to and three weeks later, they send you a link that looks a little bit weird to go get the presentations or the slides or some post-conference surveys. Uh, we'll always be willing to check those out. We have safe ways of checking those out uh -huh. and get back to you that says, yep, looks a little funny, but it's actually okay. We checked it out. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so the more information we have, uh, the the better we can protect. And we've caught a number of things that were, if it, not were, if it were not for one person reporting it, uh, it's probable we would have missed it. Yeah, well, that's that's great to know. And, you know, that that your vigilance matters, right? You're not just one person and, oh, it doesn't matter if I send this in or not, because you don't know if anyone else will send it in, right? Or if anyone else is even right. receiving it. Yeah. Um, now, we mentioned it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So as we sort of move toward the end of the month, are there any sort of key takeaways or tips that you want to leave our listeners with? The, I would say that the most important thing is to be proactive. Um, there is a healthy body of information, both on safecomputing.umich.edu for you as an employee uh, or for your department. Um, there are new resources for people who are in the position of providing IT for their departments, whether officially as an IT staff member or unofficially because a lot of IT happens unofficially. Um, there's a new SharePoint site where we can help and give uh, concise direction about how to engage uh, with information assurance and understanding risk. The other thing that I'll mention is that there is a really good body. And I know it, it takes a special sort of weirdo to get really excited about policies and standards. I'm one of those weirdos. I like a good <laughs> policy. Um, but uh, there understand sort of where the University of Michigan and Michigan medicine policies are, particularly if you're a supervisor, a manager, a director, or or just a, just a, a de facto lead uh, of some sort of team. One of our biggest gaps with communication uh, is, you know, from a hierarchy point of view, from an org chart point of view, I can communicate. I can talk to a chair or a hospital director or a chief department administrator, but really departments are networked and set up in a thousand different ways that are invisible to us. And how an individual lab communicates is very different than how a chief department administrator communicates with faculty or administrative staff. You know, so understanding the, at least where the policies are and their general scope, you don't need to know them in detail. You don't need to quote them chapter and verse. Luckily, I love that type of work. <laughs> to know that safe computing is available and there's information there, not just for you, but also for your team. And that if you are in the position of developing IT systems or solutions or interacting with data, particularly if you're putting data in a situation where it's available to people outside of Michigan medicine, uh, there are resources that we can help with and to know where to find those and how to find those. Because we're just not necessarily sure at any point we're reaching everybody that could benefit from this. Um, so I would say, be proactive in understanding our cybersecurity risk and cybersecurity resource landscape because a lot of time and effort goes into developing those for you to consume. 
So you don't find out about cybersecurity just after a bad event, but that you have an increased savviness and you can help others where mm -hmm. maybe you're in a lab meeting and you don't know what the particular data policy may be, but you understand that it exists and you might be able to direct another lab manager in that direction. Yeah. Uh, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I know too, you know, on top of all those resources, even if you don't remember those specific resources, I know that the Department of Communication is always working with information assurance with HITS to get the messages out there. So if you're not sure where to go look, go to headlines. There's going to be tips in there. There's mm -hmm. going to be tips in the ops updates, things like that. There's constantly going to be information out there to really help you be as cyber secure as possible. And that's that's another great tip. Um, you know, make the assumption that information is available, even yep. if you don't know where to find it. And going to Mishmed headlines and just searching, just searching for information security, you're going to get a lot of the uh, top level uh, high point resources where you can dive deeper or uh, certainly be able to reach out to myself or information assurance um, uh, for that type of support, whether that's for your individual use or you just want us to engage with your team, your department or your unit. Uh, that's the type of stuff we love being invited in for. Um, we present our material and we help educate you, but it's really the questions and answers that we can then provide uh, some context. And as colleagues and coworkers in this space, um, sometimes it's uh, nice, particularly post-pandemic, uh, to see people yeah. um, rather than just email them uh, policies. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jack, for joining us today, for sharing all of this incredibly important information. As you mentioned, if you want to learn more about cybersecurity and Cybersecurity Awareness Month, steps you can take to stay safe online, go to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. While you're there, you can check out other featured stories from this past week. For instance, there was a look back at the service award ceremony when longtime employees were honored for their dedication, and open enrollment is now underway through October 28th. So be sure to make any changes to your benefits by next Friday. Find details of that and much, much more at mmheadlines.org. All right, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. This week's question is, which specialty recently launched a remote emergency service between Michigan Medicine and U of M Health West? Once again, which specialty recently launched a remote emergency service between Michigan Medicine and U of M Health West? You can find the answer in this week's headline stories, and once you know it, Send it to headlines at med.umish.edu for the chance to win a prize. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you again to Jack Kufal for joining us. And thanks, as always, to all of our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.